Hello, and welcome to the Saga of Japan podcast with Charles Shanahan. Episode 8, The Age of Reform. No one, try as they might, can hold on to power forever. The higher the rise, the larger the target on your back, and the more treacherous the climb becomes. At this level, there is never any room for mistakes. The Soga clan, who acted as power behind the imperial throne for more than a century and championed Buddhism, made major mistakes, turning to tyrannical ways and styling themselves as emperors, before being defeated after a brutal assassination in the presence of the empress. In the belief that her spirit is befouled by the event, Empress Kyogyoku abdicated the throne of Yamato. Taking her place is Emperor Kotoku, backed by those who had triumphed over the Soga, Nakatomi clan leader Kamatari and Prince Naka. Under their guidance, an age of great reform will be ushered in, changing the foundation of the Japanese government. Emperor Kotoku and Prince Naka call together all the ministers immediately after the assassination and have them swear an oath of allegiance. After the oath is administered, the ministers swear to govern their populations gently. If someone were to step out of line in their domains, the ministers are to collect and report the facts, not take punishment into their own hands. Prince Naka is rewarded with a position, utilizing the same power Prince Shotoku held as regent under Empress Suiko two decades previously. In this role, Prince Naka would oversee state affairs. Prince Naka, Kamatari, and Emperor Kotoku will establish the Ritsuryo system, emphasizing philosophies of Confucianism and Chinese legal systems within the Japanese political system. This involves not only a restructuring of government, but criminal codes as well. These first implementations are known as the Taika reforms. To start, three positions are created. Minister of the Left, Minister of the Right, and Minister of the Center. Except for the Center, these positions are based off the Chinese Tong system. The Minister of the Center is a position reserved for Kamatari, now the personal advisor to the ruler of Japan. Two departments are created, one for worship and one for state, while court musicians and pharmacists are also established, and two state scholars are created, both filled by Chinese specialists and both Buddhist priests. At this point, Buddhist temples become an obstacle to centralizing authority. For the Soga and the others, the temples had become large and elaborate, not as a show of support for the doctrine, but as a symbol of power and prestige for the clan. Prince Naka once more looked to the Tong dynasty and its methods of control, placing their own appointed Buddhist masters in charge of these temples. This made them extensions of the imperial house rather than symbols of clan power. Another step in centralizing authority involved the collecting of weapons in outlying regions in order to avoid resource-draining rebellions. Combined with a theoretically more fair taxation system, one based off how many mouths you had to feed rather than the whims of the local lord, meant a more content populace. To accomplish this, Two months later, the first Japanese census was taken and all land surveyed. The Nihon Shoki reasons, quote, But now the people are more destitute than ever because powerful clan chieftains divide up the land, sell it to farmers, and collect yearly tribute. Henceforth, the selling of land is forbidden. No one is permitted to become an unauthorized landlord or to increase by one iota the miseries of the weak. End quote. It seems clear that the purpose of the census was to make sure clan leaders were not abusing the impoverished, but also the planned side effect of winning support from the common people, who would suffer much less burden under the new system. All of this came together in an imperial proclamation, now known as the Four Article Edict, establishing a taxation collection system as well as how land was to be divided up. Furthermore, 
In the aftermath of the Soga's attempt to construct incredible burial mounds befitting a rank far higher than their actual status, the emperor also decreed a more uniform system for the size of tombs. Imagine, after all, if we were in Egypt, how would a pharaoh have reacted to those underneath him constructing their own huge pyramids, greater than the tombs that came before? If you're Prince Naka, we can imagine the temptation to make yourself exempt from this system. Political history, even up to the modern day, is filled with figures who add loopholes they can exploit for their own gain. However, records seem to indicate that Prince Naka abided by the system to the letter, turning over many of his own royal estates and retainers to the emperor in a symbolic but very tangible gesture, demonstrating that Kotoku was above all, with the attached quote, Heaven does not have two sons, a country does not have two rulers. The Taika reforms in Ritsuryo's system are pivotal changes in classical Japan, changing the very structure of government and increasing the power of the imperial house. The age of reform is pushed to warp speed when the Tong dynasty of China began to make moves showing an intent to dominate the Korean peninsula. Those in Yamato feared that should the Korean kingdoms fall to the Tong, Japan might be next on the list. Yamato diplomats are dispatched to the Korean kingdoms, with messages indicating a new chapter of international relations with Yamato, a mixture of demands and optimistic promises depending on the recipient. In these changing tides of international relations, Emperor Kotoku makes the decision to build a new imperial palace in the port city of Naniwa, essentially designating it the new future capital. Today, we know Naniwa as Osaka. In fact, there are still versions of the name Naniwa used in the central districts of Osaka today. For simplicity's sake, when it comes to names, I'll stay with the modern name, as we already have enough names to keep track of. Today, Osaka is an economic hub of Japan, and likely was during Kotoku's time. Archaeological evidence indicates that its political importance became elevated during this time. Its coastal location and major port made it an ideal spot for departing and arriving diplomatic missions. A crossroads of economy and political power, it was a prime candidate. Moving the capital was not a particularly groundbreaking decision, as the capital had been moved many times previously, usually with the ascension of a new emperor or empress. However, for many previous moves, the palace had been in the Yasaka region. Among these changes, the Tong dynasty made a public alliance with Yamato's old nemesis, the Shilla, which the Japanese called Shiragi. When envoys from Shilla arrived dressed as Tong officials, they were sent back, and the minister of the left proclaimed that they should send a fleet out and attack Shilla now, warning they will regret it if they do not. Instead of agitating Shilla and the Tong by extension, Prince Naka elected to strengthen ties with China by sending two groups of scholars and students to learn more about how the Tong ruled and their achievements. In their mission, they will learn everything they could about the Tong, down to their very diet. While the first group made it back safely, the second group did not make it far out of Osaka before disaster struck, with all but five or six of them dying. Worried about the potential of a Tong-Shilla alliance, Crown Prince Naka now urged the emperor to cancel the Osaka capital plans and instead move further inland to the Osaka region, creating a more defensible capital. When Emperor Kotoku refused, the ministers and Prince Naka abandoned him, moving to Osaka anyways. Only when he fell ill in 654 did Prince Naka and his mother, the former Empress Kyogyoku, return to Kotoku's side. Emperor Kotoku would die in Osaka, likely in his late 50s. With Kotoku dead, Prince Naka chooses not to take the throne still, and instead pushes for his mother Kogyoku to reascend as the new Empress Saime. A palace is constructed for her, high up on a mountain in Osaka, requiring extraordinary labor, and canals large enough for 200 boats were constructed to help move all the stone needed. The locals absolutely detested these efforts, 
saying they've wasted the efforts of a hundred thousand men in building the wall and canals of the palace. The Nihon Shoki does not elaborate on who exactly these people were or what happened to them, instead choosing to shift focus to the fact that the Empress received a parrot from Korea. Good for you, I guess. During the construction of the new palace for Empress Saime and Asuka, the old Korean ally of Japan, Kudara, finally came under siege by the Tong and Shilla in a massive pincer attack. Over 100,000 Tong soldiers landed on the Kudara coast in the west, while Shilla forces attacked with 50,000 from the east. Within four months, the main army of Kudara was defeated. With Tong and Shilla armies merged after the great victory, their pincer attack complete, they captured the capital city. The king of Kudara chose to surrender, and his kingdom ceased to exist although already there was a growing rebel faction who refused to surrender. These forces sent secret appeals to Japan in 660, asking for assistance in the restoration of their kingdom. The Yamato ministers were concerned, torn between appeasement and confrontation. All their missions had learned how strong the Tong dynasty was and knew they were a force to be reckoned with. If they do nothing, though, how long until they meet the same fate as Kudara? An island nation, they were just as susceptible to the pincer attack Kudara fell to. In the end... Conflict seemed inevitable, and the ministers voted for war. In 661, Empress Saime prepared to lead an expeditionary force in an effort to restore the Korean kingdom, temporarily relocating her court to Kyushu, and joined by Prince Naka and Kamatari. However, as the last ships were preparing to depart for Korea, Empress Saime dies. Among the people, it was whispered that the construction of her new ornate palace had angered the Shinto gods, and her death was punishment for the sacrilege. Prince Naka led an escort home for the Empress's remains. The Neon Shoki records that in the evening, atop a mountain overlooking the escort, a great demon, or spirit, wearing a large hat, looked down upon the proceedings, shocking many of the witnesses. Upon returning to sea, Prince Naka was overcome with grief and anguish at the death of his mother, saying, Longing as I do for a sight of you, now that I have arrived here, even thus do I long, desirous to see you again. While Prince Naka had been content to rule in the style of famed Prince Shotoku, the death of his mother, and the kingdom navigating a time of crisis, he finally took the mantle, eventually being enthroned as Emperor Tenji. Tenji immediately used his powers to mobilize for the war effort, for something much larger than an expeditionary force, vowing to restore the Korean kingdom and stop Tong encroachment. While he would raise a massive army, it would still take several years. Learning of the coming Yamato forces, the Tong dynasty at once began mobilizing their own forces, coordinating with Shilla for the coming battle. In 663, with Tong and Shilla forces assembled, Japanese forces arrived in Korea to link up with the rebels. The plan was to use the river and their assembled navy of 800 ships supported by 40,000 Japanese soldiers to ferry troops into the capital and provide support. Yamato soldiers greatly outnumbered the 170 Tong ships, which were supported by 13,000 Tong soldiers. However, the Tong general had been careful in choosing the site of the naval battle, electing to choose a spot where the river was narrow enough that numerical superiority did not matter as long as the Tong held their battle lines. The Yamato forces, knowing they greatly outnumbered the Tong forces, crashed into the enemy ships not once, not twice, but three times. However, each time, they were still forced to retreat. There are so many factors that go into who comes out of a battle victorious, but one of the most important is morale. If your morale breaks, a domino effect of fearful or fleeing troops will end the battle and potentially the war, faster than any single skirmish can. After being repelled three times, the Yamato soldiers were tired, 
exhausted, and very much doubting their prospects of victory. Sensing the moment was at hand, the Tong forces sent their backline reserve troops, who were still mostly fresh, to attack the left and right sides of the Japanese forces. The Japanese forces may have outnumbered the Tong, but now being attacked by both sides, by fresh troops, the center mass of ships became a chaotic whirlpool of boats and ships that could not maneuver. Seeing their comrades being slaughtered all around them, many Yamato soldiers chose to bail, jumping into the water and drowning as their ships were burned all around them. The general of the Japanese forces, to his credit, fights as long as he can, killing more than a dozen men who charge him. The battle is a disaster for Japan, being the largest defeat yet for any Japanese force. Over 10,000 soldiers die, half their fleet is lost, and the rebels' cause is dealt the finishing blow. Many surviving nobles from the rebel cause instead choose to move to Yamato, gaining a type of citizenship and noble status within the kingdom. Yamato will begin constructing dozens of fortifications along the coast, and taking extreme defensive measures to prevent an expected Tongshila invasion. Along many peaks throughout the kingdom, forts are constructed, ready at a moment's notice to relay information about enemy invasions. What those in Yamato did not know at the time was that the Tong dynasty and Shilla would soon have a falling out, leading to their own power struggle with each other and distracting them from any ambitions of conquering Japan. From this point, Yamato could focus more on domestic affairs while trying once more to rekindle friendly relations with the Tong. At home, Tenji uses his power to drive more reforms, such as awarding swords to clan leaders, with the size of the sword indicating how strong the clan is. It seems highly convenient that this reform, indicating status at court, was implemented at a time when Yamato was seeing large numbers of new nobles immigrating into the kingdom, thus allowing Tenji to restructure the power balance of court. Very convenient indeed, Tenji. In 669 CE, Kamatari falls ill. With the clan leader near death, Emperor Tenji was grief-stricken and visited Kamatari in his home, asking if there was anything he could do to help. Kamatari replies, quote, What more is to be said? Only I trust that for my burial, simple arrangements may be made. While alive, I did no service for my country at war. Why then should I impose a heavy burden on it when I am dead? End quote. The emperor and other ministers were deeply moved by this. As a reward for his services over the years, Emperor Tenji grants Kamatari the honorific name Fujiwara, making him Fujiwara no Kamatari. The Fujiwara honorific will evolve into a clan all its own, becoming one of the most powerful and famous clans of classical Japan. The Fujiwara clan will enjoy power, prestige, and influence for centuries until the rise of the samurai. The next day, Fujiwara no Kamatari died at the age of 56. For almost 25 years, he had worked closely with Emperor Tenji, defeating the Soga's tyrannical grip on power, guiding the Taika reforms, helping create the Ritsuryo system, and preparing Yamato for a bright future. Next time, in the wake of Kamatari's death, stability in the kingdom will be threatened, as Emperor Tenji, without Kamatari's advice and guidance, which he had relied upon for two decades, must make the ultimate choice. When the time comes, who will take the Chrysanthemum Throne. The choice will threaten to tear apart the Imperial House as the Osaka Enlightenment and the Age of Reform come to an end. As always, thank you so much for joining us on this journey through the history of Japan. You can contact me at the website listed in the show notes or at twitter.com slash saga of Japan. I deeply appreciate you taking the time out of your day to give a listen to this podcast, and I hope to see you next time. <laughs>